We are I. October 16th, 2022, adventure starts going up to Sugarloaf Mountain at 7 a.m. You know, most of us stayed up at the Pemberton Valley Lodge the night before just to be able to relax and not have to wake up so early and drive all the way up to Pemberton. But three of the team members, uh, they stayed in Langley and decided to drive up, you know, Sunday morning, you know, getting up at like 3.30, out the door by 4.30 so we can be, you know, heading towards the trail at 7 you know, so they roll up and we're all organized, we're all ready to go, the cars are all packed up and, you know, Mackenzie and Heather and Oxana roll into the parking lot and everybody hops in their cars and, and we're out. You know, we drive down towards Pemberton Valley Meadows, Valley Meadows, Pemberton Meadows. <laughs> all these new, uh, all these new names stuck in my head and I started to jumble them all up every once in a while. But yeah, we head in towards Pemberton and down Pemberton Meadows and we get to an FSR road. And we realized quickly that we're going to have to all pop into Melissa's Jeep, which was the original plan. And there's 10 of us and one Jeep. So we've been trying to find creative ways to figure this out and how we're going to be able to, you know, cram all these people, you know, into this Jeep. And it's like, you know, do we have to make multiple trips? You know, like what's going to happen? Like, can we fit everybody in? So we lay down the back seats and everybody hops in. And it's great that for one, there's a lot of women there in that everybody's not that tall, you know, because we also have two dogs with us too. So there's, there's 10 people. So seven adults, three teenagers and two dogs and all of our packs. I hop onto the roof and we strap the packs down to the roof and, you know, they stay up there luckily. So we're going down this road and it's super dusty and everybody's eating dust because we leave the back window open for some air. And, you know, it just hasn't rained anywhere around here for so long, but we're, we're making our way down this, this FSR road, which is about 15 kilometers up and zigzagging back and forth and switchbacks and going through cut blocks and, you know, twists and turns in this way and that way. And, you know, for one, even in a regular, you know, four by four, if you're just going with a couple of people and everybody's got a seat with a seatbelt on, you just can't go down FSR roads that fast because, this one specifically was deactivated, which means they cut ditches across them so that people can't just drive up them unless if they have a four by four. And when they really deactivate them is so that nobody can drive up them. But we get up this FSR road and we get to this, um, this place on all trails where it says the place starts. But it also says to not start where it says on all trails. And there's you know, two ways, right at intersection on this road. And it says, instead of starting where all trails says, you know, start at the end of the road. So Melissa hops in her Jeep and she goes down to the end of the road and we're standing there and nothing. And she's just like, well, maybe it's the other way. And I'm like, well, it's in the opposite way of the mountain. There's no way that it can be down there. <clears throat> and it's just like, you know what? There's some blue flagging tape here. It says start where there's blue flagging tape. And let's just see. So we park and we get everybody's packs off and we start going up this cut block, which immediately is about a 50 to 60% grade. 
And, you know, and in a cup block, you're stepping over down trees and over tree branches and this, that. Like, they're not meant to be walked in at all. But we do see footprints, so it seems like somebody else has walked through this section. And there is little bits of flagging tape that are stuck underneath rocks. Not something that loggers would leave, but something that hikers would. So there's, there's clear evidence that people have walked up this path that we're on right now. And we get up into the tree line, and we immediately don't see any blue flagging tape. And the one thing that always bugs me that when people use blue flagging tape is it's a bitch to see. You know, even if you wrap it around a nice big tree and it seems like it's in a sight line, it actually blends in really well. It's not it's not distinct. That's why people will use yellow and orange and pink and red because it stands out. Like it visually is something that you don't really expect to see there. And it's easy to pick up on. So we can't find any flagging tape and, you know, your GPS is super spotty because you're walking around in the bushes. But we know that at the end of the day, we just have to go up. It's like, how are we going to get up? What's the most efficient way we can just get up? So we're bushwhacking and bushwhacking. We're climbing up these slopes. Some of them are, you know, now 60, 70% grades. You're sliding back. You're grabbing onto roots. You're grabbing onto branches. You know, your shins are getting scratches all up and down them. You know, I'm carrying a dog, um, you know, throwing little Zoe up onto a ledge to be able to climb up on it and just stopping in these little sections just wide enough for the entire team to make sure that everybody's got up there and then you keep on going. And you look back at these three teenagers and just impressed that they're willing to be able to go through this bush and go on this crazy adventure with all these adults and kind of see like what we do on the weekends when we come home and we have these stories about how crazy this adventure was that we went on. You know, we get up into a rock face and we realize that we have to go around this rock face. And it's like, should we scale the rock face? And it's like, no, keep going around. It's too dangerous for all the people here. Like, let's find a safer way to be able to get up. So I'm constantly looking on Google Maps and I know that there's these meadows. And I'm like, like, if we can just get to these meadows, that's all we need to do because it's a straight shot. We're just going to ridge along. And even if we're not on the trail, we are going to eventually intersect with the trail because, you know, like there's only one way to be able to get to this mountain and you have to eventually walk through these meadows. So I'm like, this is just our goal because the trail that we're trying to find on all trails and getting spun around and going this way, then that way, it just like it's not working. It's not panning out. So we finally, eventually, after about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, we get to these meadows. And immediately, there's the trail. Like the first meadow that we come across, there's the trail. And everybody rejoices because now, you know, like we've only gone a kilometer, but it's been a kilometer at about a 60, 70% grade almost the entire time, minus a few breaks. And again, I love these moments like this. I don't know if everybody on the team loves them as much as I do, but you know, these are the moments where people can go back and really understand what they're made of because, you know, you're in a mountain, you're not on a trail, you're bushwhacking, you know that like nobody's going to be looking in this exact spot for you. And there's always the potential that something goes wrong in the backcountry. Always. Even if you are with a big group like what we are, you know, there's always the potential for something to go wrong. And when you get through something like that, it's it just changes your perspective on life because it's one thing to walk down a trail to get to the top of a mountain, but it's another thing to be able to trek through the forest and thick, dense forest, not where there's a tree here and a tree there and you can easily see your way through. It's that where there's underbrush 
everywhere. There's ground cover everywhere. There's moss on stuff. There's, you know, down trees. There's dead trees. There's live trees. There's this. There's that. There's everything. And you have to go across it all. And just knowing that you forged through all of that and you came out unscathed and you got to where you were going to go, it gives you that sense of accomplishment, knowing that, you know, you do have what it takes. And you do have the foresight to be able to logically sit down and be able to, you know, think of things rationally about what's going to be the best case scenario to be able to get to the place where that you need to go. And that's what happened. And as soon as we get on this trail and we start walking down a little bit, we see this little hut, one of the emergency shelters. And it's all banged up and the siding's coming off, the roofing's coming off. And, you know, I pushed the door closed because the door was slightly ajar and I'm banging and knocking on the door and I'm holding it closed because if the door is ajar, the last thing that you want to do is just open this door because you don't know if there's going to be an animal in there. Like, you know, this thing is clearly abandoned. You can tell that nobody uses this thing anymore. But again, the door is also open. So I'm banging on it, banging on it. I don't hear anything moving around on the inside. So I open the door and it's just lit up, disgusting. Like absolutely, like you can tell there's multiple different kinds of feces around on the inside. There's mattresses on this inside of this thing. They're just disgusting. And why anybody would bring mattresses into this little, you know, emergency shelter and stuff. Like I understand how good of a idea, idea that seems. But when you're bringing mattresses or any kind of anything like that, that animals can make their homes out of, it is going to get turned in to a rat infested shithole, which is exactly what this place was. So everybody checks it out and takes some pictures and we continue on see a little swamp or just laughing about how there's this little swamp just eager to be able to get, you know, up to that glacier like that. One of the main reasons why we came is so that we could all jump in this glacier. They can feel that cold, frigid water against our bodies. So we continue on and, you know, maybe about five, six hundred meters up, we get to this other little hut, this other little emergency shelter. It looks exactly the same, but you can tell that this one's new. And we go inside and we can see this thing's well equipped. Like this is great. It has everything you need down to a lawn chair, to extra propane, to knives, to a hatchet, to everything that people have left all along the way. It's insulated, you know, not the best, but again, it's going to keep you alive. And it's one of those things where you take that moment out to realize that people who adventure into the backcountry, because nobody stocks this thing specifically, but everybody leaves a little bit of something because they know that if somebody does get stuck in this emergency shelter, that, you know, they're going to need these supplies more than what anybody needs them right now. And then you look around and you understand that it's so well equipped. You're like, what do I even have in my bag that I could potentially leave? That would be worthy of you know somebody's use and I look at my pack and I actually don't have anything that's different than the stuff that is there right now which is great I love that I love looking at this and realizing that I actually don't need to contribute to this because everything is already there it just makes you so proud of all the people in the backcountry and once we get to this one we realize that this is also like our first major vista like we've seen you know like through the cracks of the trees the you know stunning landscapes and like the you know the glaciers that have been there for thousands of years and just the I, I, you don't even have words for what it looks like just these massive pillows these marshmallows that are attached to these mountains and you can see where they've receded and just 
etched into this mountain, just dragged these rocks back and created massive, massive rock slides. And there's always a beautiful, pristine lake at the bottom. And I just love that. I love watching that. I, I love that my eyes have the ability, or I love that my body has the ability to allow my eyes to be able to see something as magnificent as this. So now we're up here and we're turning around and realizing that we're only a few kilometers into this hike and there's still a lot more to go. So, you know, we regroup everybody and start heading out and like, let's get on this journey. And now that we're up on this ridge, it's just constantly like up and down and up and down and up and down, just enough to be able to test the legs each time. Like nothing crazy. You know, each ascent is maybe only 15, 20 minutes. It's not not crazy, but you start getting more a little bit on jagged rock and you know, the sides are getting a little bit more steep and you get to this one section and you look straight down at this landslide and realize it's thousands of feet down. We also starting to realize too at this point in time that, you know, everybody's starting to struggle a little bit. Not, not everybody. There's a, a few people on the team that are starting to struggle a little bit. And so, okay, it's decision time. You know, we're about halfway to the summit of this mountain and some of the team is starting to struggle. Like, what, what can we do here? Because you can't tell anybody that they have to just stay. And it's like you can tell the the people who are struggling, they just have to stay because that's not fair that the people who are struggling then don't have somebody who's not to be able to, you know, help look out for them and their time in need when you're in the backcountry in the middle of nowhere. Even though that this trail was surprisingly busy for what it said that you wouldn't run into anybody, but, you know, we've probably seen 30 or 40 people on the trail all day, which is quite a bit for a trail like that. So we're sitting down and we have some snacks and, you know, we're assessing the situation and just saying, okay, like, like what's realistic here? Like, let's do a little recon mission. So I take a couple of the young men out and, you know, we do a little recon mission to see exactly, you know, what this next part looks like for us. You know, we get in and then it's like, okay, I see the lake, but now I also see that this lake is probably inaccessible to be able to get to. And just understanding that like this lake it's beautiful, but it's at the bottom of a bowl that used to be a glacier that again, like most other glacier lakes has rock slides down to it. It's not just perfect little lake that's at the bottom of a beautiful valley. Like this is insanely treacherous terrain to be able to get down to this lake, but everything tells me that I want to go there. Going across this little land bridge that when you look to one side, if you take literally 12 inch step over, you are going down thousands of feet down this rock slide, like absolutely crazy. And you start to get those little, you know, hairs standing up on the back of your neck about how wild it is or what you're actually doing right now. And you get back and you sit down with the team and say, okay, like, look, here's the scoop. Not everybody's going to be able to forge forward here. To be able to get to the top of the lake where you then have to descend down, not even knowing fully if you can, it's about 20 minutes down the trail. But more importantly, that right where you would descend down into this lake is the final ascent to the top of Sugarloaf Mountain. The problem with this is, though, is that you realize that this ascend is, out of the 10 people there, there's maybe one or two people who could actually do this ascend. Like it is definitely scrambling. You are going to be on your hands and your feet for a lot of it. It is going to be tough and the risk level is very high. And who wants to be responsible for other people, especially when people are feeling fatigued that they want to take that on because you see how this situation can go extremely sideways. 
So you're explaining this to the group and, you know, some people say that they're going to, you know, stay back. Some people say that they're going to go and at least check out this lake to see if you can get there because we only walked about halfway there on our recon mission, which again, you could tell was only about another 15, 20 minutes further than like what we walked to be able to do that recon mission. As I'm sitting there, I realize that the people that I'm with now are the people who are struggling the most. And I'm like, you know, what makes the most sense. I'm going to pack these guys up. We're going to go back to this second emergency shelter where the fire pit was. And we're going to get a fire going and we're going to start, you know, making lunch. We're going to get lunch ready. I'm going to get these guys fed. We're going to go back. If it takes a little bit longer, at least we can get about a 30 minute head start on the rest of the team. So I packed these guys up. One of the team members decides to stay there to be able to notify the rest of the team of exactly what's going on. And I walk out with, you know, three of these people. And uh, one of them who is not really struggling, other two who are struggling a little bit. But again, this is the moment where, you know, decisions need to be made. And this is one of them. And it's like, I really wanted to be able to see this. Like, I really wanted to go down. I really wanted to be able to dip my toes in. I really wanted to be able to try to ascend, you know, this final ascent, which was just absolutely crazy and wild. But what I want even more is for everybody to come home safe. That is always the primary goal that we have stories to tell. And even if they are not successful, they are still stories to tell that we utilized the day and that we went out in the heat that was then so hot that, you know, we couldn't even, you know, bear it at some points because it was just so hot, so hot sitting out in the Alpine with the sun beating down on you, feeling like you're getting dehydrated and then realizing that nobody bring an abundance of water because everybody was expecting to be able to get down to that glacier lake. So then I started doing a water check with these guys and realized that none of them have any water. I had already given up my water at that point in time. Luckily, I had a Guinness with me. 30 minutes later, once we get back to the emergency shelter and have our lunch cooked and ate, and then the rest of the team gets there and they're hungry and I got the fire going already and the grill's nice and hot and they throw their food on and we get everything all cooked up and they all say that they don't have any water either because exactly the same fact, everybody is expecting to be able to drink this beautiful glacier water. So the swamp that we once laughed at of how disgusting that water is, realizing that we all have these water filtration systems specifically to be able to pump water out of those things to be able to drink them and you know not get sick. We're headed back there now. We pack up all of our gear, we get everybody organized, and we head back to this swamp. And I'm standing knee deep in, you know, like this water, which is, you know, halfway to my knee and mud sinking down. I feel weird shit oozing through my toes. And I'm, you know, drawing this water up into one of the filter bags. And the nice thing is there's not a whole lot of floaties in it. And it's not, you know, just weird, dark, murky color. But you definitely know this, you know, pooling water in this swamp is you know, full of shit that you don't want to be drinking. So we start filtering it and everybody's so thirsty at that point in time. Like it doesn't even matter. Like nobody's close to any kind of dehydration, but everybody's just hot and want some water. Just, you know, want to be able to kick some back because there's nothing that feels better than just pounding back a bunch of water when it's so hot outside and you're feeling dry and a little bit dehydrated and you're on your way back out and you want to go back home. So, Do you think it has a taste? 
Actually, no, it didn't have a taste. It actually was really good. I could have absolutely no complaints at all. I would I would drink that water again. I would filter that water out. It wasn't that bad. And it actually made me realize because I've never pumped water out of a swamp before and I've had to try it. Just knowing that it wasn't that bad. And I know that it's all not going to be like that because I prepared everybody. I'm like, look, this water is going to taste like shit. It's probably going to smell like shit. It might look like shit. But the one thing that we do know that using these, you know, filters that we got is at least it's safe to drink. So it's better to be able to get some of this water in you and prevent you from getting dehydrated than to not drink it at all. But like I said, the nice thing is it worked out well. I've actually tasted some tap water that I thought was more disgusting than what this water was. So now everybody's got a little bit more pep in their step. Everybody's got food in their bellies. They got water in their system and everybody's good to go. And the chit chat becomes a lot more lively, a lot more. Of course, you can, you know, hear people talking and laughing and telling stories. And, you know, I take the, the two young gentlemen and, you know, we go up ahead and I know that they're still seven other of these ladies behind us and vast majority of them are very experienced in the backcountry and this trail's really easy to read it's well marked it's well groomed there's no um you know intersections that we've come along there's no path trail deviations so i say to these guys we start jogging out a little bit and we're we're jogging i said okay if we get to any kind of junction we'll stop or if we get to the back to the fsr road where then we have to walk back on to get to the jeep we'll stop there so, you know, we're jogging, 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 going and no nothing. You know, we don't see any junctions and we kind of hear them laughing behind us. We stop every once in a while just to make sure that we got sight line because, you know, that's the number one rule in the backcountry is to make sure that you always have sight line on people. But then I can tell that we're getting close to the end, just time-wise, distance-wise and everything. So I say to them, like, like, let's cut it loose. So we run the rest of the way and it turned out to only be about another 10 minutes. And then we sat down at the edge of this trailhead in the FSR road and five minutes later all the ladies come walking out and we're back on this FSR road walking back down the kilometer kilometer and a half to be able to get to the jeep and we can see it from where we're at it's not like it's you know back over there who knows or we might get lost like you actually literally can just see the jeep we only just have to walk to it so everybody eventually gets back to the jeep and you know, we get the bags strapped back up on top and everybody's standing around laughing and, you know, just enjoying it. But you can tell everybody's tired. It's been a been a long day. Everybody's tired. Everybody needs to, you know, get back to their cars. And we still have 15K down this logging road. We still have to pack, you know, 10 people and two dogs into this Jeep and crawl down this FSR road at, you know, 15, 20 kilometers an hour because everybody's sardine canned inside of this. But yeah, as we're rolling down, I think like, I love this. I love that I have a group of people so big that they're willing to be able to pack themselves in a Jeep to be able to, you know, go on an adventure, not even knowing what it is. I love knowing that I can go with nine other people and we can bushwhack our way up through a mountain and nobody really complains and everybody just feels safe and knowing that we'll eventually get there because we all have collective enough experience to be able to successfully pull that operation off and it's wild and it's great and I love every second of it. You know, I love that everybody's just stinking after seven hours of being out in the bush sweating and, you know, spitting and blowing their nose and this and that and the next thing. And everybody's just shoulder to shoulder, leg to leg, legs on top of each other, arms on top of each other, shoulders resting, you falling on this person. Everybody's begged, everybody's exhausted, but everybody doesn't care. 
I realize that I have a lot of really great people in my life and I'm honored to be able to share these experiences with them and I would do it all over again and I'm going to do it all over again and we're going to do it all over again hundreds of times and I look forward to every single one of those trips. So Sugarloaf Mountain, did we get to the top? No. Did we get to the Glacier Lake? No. But did we have an amazing time and filled the memory with memory banks and filled the heart and the soul and the mind with you know, everything that we needed? Absolutely. And that's the number one reason why that we went out there. It was not necessarily necessarily to be able to get anywhere, but to just to be able to get lost. So there's the recap from Sugarloaf Mountain in Pemberton, BC. Absolutely beautiful hike. I 100% would do it again to be able to, you know, get those couple goals and check them off the list. But if I never go back and I never do it again, my heart is always full.